G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. Today we are focusing on the importance of placing workers in the centre of a just transition to combat climate change. We hear from Colin Long, the Just Transition Organiser at the Victorian Trades Hall, and Luke Skinner from the Climate Justice Union and an organiser for the United Workers Union in Western Australia. They were both featured in the recent Backgrounder or tutorial series hosted by Living Incomes for Everyone, a movement of organisations, community groups and individuals working for economic and social justice. First up, Colin Long. I'm the Just Transitions Organiser at Trades Hall. I'm responsible for climate and just transitions. I'm also responsible for developing the cooperative economy, and I actually spend a lot of my time working on cooperatives, particularly supporting the earthwork and network, the solar hot water factory in Morwell. Uh, We're setting up a a new smart energy cooperative at the moment. We have an asylum seeker cooperative, a cleaning cooperative, and uh, we also are co-owners with a number of quite a number of unions now and Friends of the Earth and some community climate organisations with Cooperative Power, which is a cooperative electricity retailer. We're trying to democratise the economy and bring that social interest into the climate uh, transition. What we're trying to do at Trades Hall, I suppose, is recognise that the energy transformation and the climate transition will necessitate the biggest restructuring of the Australian economy in history. And if workers aren't at the centre of that restructuring, uh, workers and unions are only too familiar with what happens when they're not put at the centre of restructuring, they they get screwed. Um, Whether it's restructuring of textile clothing and footwear or the car industry, or any other industry restructuring, when employers just get given some money to uh, add to redundancy packages or pay people to do a little bit of uh, tweaking of their CVs, you know, the outcomes for workers are not good. So we demand that the union movement really step up and become leaders in dealing with climate change and, and not leaving it up to government. We're not interested in um, hero tech capitalists uh, leading the way either. At the moment, we'll build alliances with anyone who wants to take the right action to deal with climate change, but we don't trust um, capitalists of any sort to put workers at the forefront of the transition. So that's the role of unions to put workers at the forefront, and that's what we're trying to do. At the moment, we're doing a fair bit of work on uh, education for and training for delegates and activists. If unions want us to come out and do it in their places, or if, if people want us to go to workplaces and deliver some of the training, we'd be that would be my ideal, actually, learn about what's happening with climate change. 
we do a lot of policy work as well. We're trying to encourage unions to set up their own climate and uh, environmental policy committees and organising committees, and a number of unions are doing some great work there. And we are participating in lots of ways in uh, Victorian government processes around renewable energy, development of the clean energy workforce for the future and things like that. I do a fair bit of work uh, for Trades Hall at an international level as well. The insecurity of employment, it's really hard for unions to organise insecurely employed workers. That's why there is so much casual employment in this country. It, it makes it hard to unionise people. And workers who are just scraping through from day to day in an insecure job, trying to make a living, don't have the headspace in their workplace to be thinking about uh, what's the transition, what's a better job for me, what is my employer doing to reduce their environmental impact and all of those sorts of things. So um, we, we made the case that we have to deal with all of these big structural problems if we're going to deal with the pandemic on one side and if we're going to deal with climate change. There's going to be massive um, government assistance to deal with the pandemic, and there has been, and that should be geared to a renewable energy future and recreating manufacturing jobs. And it should be a sustainable stimulus or whatever you want to call it. Um, unfortunately, from a federal government level in Australia, we're the worst in the OECD in terms of the percentage of uh, stimulus money that has gone to um, sustainable projects as a result of um, COVID spending. There is a real issue about the credibility of transition planning and part of that is because our experience and many unions experience of the renewable energy industry for instance is the jobs have not been necessarily that great uh, a lot of insecure employment and lower wages so it's a bit hard to persuade workers who are in relatively unionized parts of uh, at least um, energy generation fossil fuel energy generation australia which is pretty well unionized a lot of the mining industry is not very well unionised, mind you. Um, coal mining's fairly well unionised, but um, part of the part of the problem in Australia is you know, companies like Rio Tinto put a lot of work into deunionisation um, over a long period of time, and we actually have to reverse a great deal of that. Probably one of the most important aspects of a just transition planning and, and climate change planning in this country is industrial relations law, because the industrial relations system in Australia uh, is one of the worst in the OECD in terms of repression of unions. You know, we, we don't really have a very serious right to strike in this country. It's very difficult for unions to get into workplaces and organise workers. The rules around EBAs and collective bargaining are all stacked in the employer's favour. That all makes it incredibly difficult for workers, workers of all sorts, to feel that their voice is going to be heard in a restructuring uh, because the system is designed to make sure workers' voices are not heard in in the day-to-day -day running of most companies and certainly in restructuring, um, they're not given priority. And in some industries, of course, there are special bodies like the ABCC, which are designed to destroy the way mm. unions can uh, represent their members. So 
really one of the first things we have to do is fundamentally change the industrial relations system in this country. What do we do about union leaders who defend fossil fuel industry on the basis that it is needed for jobs? I completely agree with you know, recognising that um, fossil fuel sector workers are not the enemy. But we also have to be honest to fossil fuel sector workers, and that goes for union leaders as well. We can't keep pretending that there's not going to be change in their industries. And unless unions lead in uh, working through change, then and at the moment, we're not really leading, I think, in a lot of places, a lot of industries. And unless we do, then the decisions are going to be made by the bosses. And often the bosses are international corporations that actually don't really give a stuff about Australia in the slightest. Uh, and they will make the decisions about when power stations close and they will make the decisions about when coal mines close and you get to that final stage and it's unions are always fighting that rearguard action, which just means trying to secure redundancies rather than um, planning for a real transition and planning from a long way out for years and make insisting not just on training package, packages, but insisting on alternative employment. And there, there are lots of good proposals um, and serious proposals for good uh, development of the hydrogen industry, green steel industry, and in some of in around Gladstone and uh, the Hunter Valley and, and things like that, uh, offshore wind off the coast of Gippsland. A lot of that stuff will provide decent jobs in those communities. We've just got to make sure it happens, these jobs, these industries, and the workers are given priority access to them and potentially things like wage maintenance. For some workers who want to go off and retire, we might have to, you know, we have to do a whole lot of stuff about making sure that it's not just about um, making sure people get good retirement packages, but making sure that they have the facilities in their communities that they want to continue to live there. And it's also going to be about in many mining communities, especially in places like central Queensland, we're going to need serious economic diversification strategies because once mining's gone, they currently don't have much in the way of alternatives. We're going to have to build yeah. those alternatives and um, we have to demand this. And it's not good enough for to just let governments say, well, it's up to the market to decide what's going to happen. This mm. has to be serious, large-scale public investment and planning in the transition. Stick, Stick together. together. Yeah. Stick together. together. Yeah. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Climate change is a workplace issue. And a just transition needs to be placing workers at its centre. We now hear from Luke Skinner, who took part in the life session, Climate Change, Jobs and Living Incomes. I'm from Climate Justice Union, based here in, in Western Australia. We have members that kind of range throughout society. Uh, you don't need to be a working person to join Climate Justice Union. We're not in that traditional sense, a union that represents people in the workplace. Uh, we're more a union in the sense of the... American Civil Liberties Union or the Union of Concerned Scientists, where we are a group of people with, you know, a collective concern. 
that we are using collective organising the same principles as union organising to address those concerns. You know, our foundation story probably comes in around late 2018 when myself and a couple of other people from the grassroots organising of climate actions here in WA kind of got together late in 2018 and we went, well, you know, like we've been doing a really good job. We've been getting more divestments in WA, more councils divested, more unis divested, more organisations divested than other states per head of population kind of thing. Our volunteer organising has resulted in some really good big actions, all of those kinds of things, you know. But ultimately what was happening was that Western Australia's emissions were rising quite rapidly. And in fact, it was rising to such an extent that every other state in the country with the occasional exception of Queensland, because they had a blip because of LNG export increases. But every other state was decreasing their emissions. And Western Australia's rise in emissions was enough to make it so that the whole of Australia's emissions were rising. Uh, so it was very clear to us that we were losing, um, despite being, you know, doing a lot of good work. Long story short, we spent several months getting together, doing some strategic planning and looking at what does it look like for Western Australia to do its fair share on climate change and on reducing emissions, but also on preparing people in Western Australia for the impacts of climate change. Because much like many of the other states in Australia, we really are heavily impacted by the impacts of climate change, fires, floods, droughts. And we realised it was a really big operation essentially that we needed to shift the whole of our society and economies set up to one that focuses on you know, preserving and improving life for humans and animals and plants and the ecosystems uh, as the centre of, of how it operates. You know, this is just a little small ask of a not yet existent organisation. We want to make sure as Climate Justice Union that we have an eyesight on that the people who should be responsible for these kinds of changes, you know, whether they're bosses in a workplace, whether they're, you know, people who are in at a department level or a regulatory authority, whether they're ministers, whether they're local, state, federal government, whoever the decision makers might be, and also the people who have to make change, you know, collectively in their own workplaces and lives too, whoever needs to be involved in making those decisions, we essentially want to make sure that the people who are impacted by uh, decisions around climate change are involved in making those decisions, and we want to look at focusing our work where we're going to have, you know, the most impact um, on a transition. So. In WA, that's kind of meant for us looking not just at where is there opportunity to abate emissions, reducing emissions. Obviously, there's coal mining and, and coal-fired power plants, and we've done some work supporting the transition around Collie here in Western Australia with the unions in the southwest who are involved in that space. Um, but we've also had a really big focus on working with the health sector and looking at how are humans looked after when we already have a healthcare system that is stretched even before COVID came along uh, and the impacts of extreme weather are only making that worse and climate change will make that worse over the long time. So whenever we're talking about income, jobs and climate change, we're talking about sacrifice, we're talking you know, about real people, uh, we're talking about potential for harm, but we're also talking about reducing vulnerability in our society. If we're having the, con the conversation properly, the reason that income matters when we're talking about climate change is about reducing the vulnerability to climate change across our whole society. The people in our society who are most at risk are the people who are most vulnerable. Uh, and there's a bunch of different ways that you can be vulnerable. Class and income is 
you know, very, very high on the one, the types of vulnerability that will um, be impacted by climate change. You know, the lower socioeconomic bracket you're in, the more likely you are to be living in a place in Penrith that gets up to 50 degrees Celsius and doesn't have adequate, uh, you know, cooling and doesn't have adequate um, insulation. And, you know, to become, the more likely you are to become one of those statistics of people who die during heat waves, you know. Uh, and, you know, let's not pretend this is a future issue. Um, we have been having people die from heat waves in Australia for a long time, but increasingly so over the last 30 years as a result of climate change. Um, when the Black Saturday bushfires that were 10 years ago thereabouts in Victoria and, and killed a large number of people, 100 and something people, in the week before that, nearly 400 people, more than double the amount of people died from the heat exposure. Uh, and that's a fact that Leslie, uh, Dr. Leslie Hughes likes to bring up when she's talking about the impacts of climate change in Australia. And that was 10 years ago, you know, and it doesn't stop, it continues. Uh, so really for me, you know, I think we need to have a strong and solid investigation of how we have a guaranteed wage situation that is at the poverty level, slightly above the poverty level, so that we can eliminate poverty in Australia and across the world as one of the ways of actually rapidly reducing, permanently reducing our vulnerability to climate change. Uh, and, you know, we know that we can do it. Well, last year, for a brief period of time, when JobKeeper and JobSeeker were lifted, we pretty much eliminated poverty in Australia. And then the federal government made a conscious decision to reintroduce poverty into Australia when they unwound those things. And you know what? We also proved in that process that we could actually eliminate poverty for a much, much lower number than the amount that was spent because of how much of that went to profits and into dividends for people who are already wealthy. You know, we could probably cut down to one third of what the headline figure was uh, to eliminate poverty consistently in Australia. And that would re reduce most of the forms of vulnerability to climate change. Now also there's other forms of vulnerability. You might live in a community that is particularly vulnerable to drought. Your whole community might lose the industry that it depends on. In order to do justice to a message to fossil fuel workers in the situation that they're facing now, where they're being you know, set up as a sacrificial lamb at some point in time, where they're potentially just going to lose a whole lot of jobs without transitions, what I will say is that you know, fossil fuel workers are not the enemy. Fossil fuel workers are ordinary people who are working jobs to make their life you know, a, a worth living, and that what we need to do as movements who support climate justice and action on climate change is that make sure that those workers' concerns uh, are listened to and that the communities that those jobs support, that the communities that they support are given the support that those communities need to remain viable. Climate Justice Union is playing a support role with the transition work in, in Collie here in Western Australia, which is the, the coal mining town that also contains the coal-fired power plants that have run most of Western Australia's electricity grid for the last 100 years. Those workers have suffered through the impacts of working around coal throughout their lives, the health impacts. You know, Sure, they've had relatively good paid jobs, but that community uh, has been absolutely central to the success of Western Australia and the Southwest as a state. Uh, and so the work that um, we did to support the transition is supporting the unions that are already working down there, Australian Metal Workers Union, their workers essentially work in all of the repair and maintenance type work. Then there's the Australian Services Union 
here in WA, their people operate the coal-fired power plants that are owned by Synergy, the state government generator, and then CFMU Mining and Energy Division, essentially most of their operators, you know, driving the trucks on the mine site. Then there's the Electrical Trades Union, and the Collie at the Crossroads report, which was launched in 2019, was a collaboration with those unions, with Beyond Zero Emissions, with the local council, with local Aboriginal elders, with Climate Justice Union, with the WA Council of Social Services and, you know, large groups of community involved in that process. And it is a plan for how you replace the 1,700 permanent jobs in Collie uh, that are entirely focused around coal mining and the generation of power through coal uh, with between 1,750 and 2,500 similar jobs that would also be permanent positions that would make use of the types of skills that are in the community, that would make use of the electricity infrastructure and the ports nearby. And some of the proposals that have been put into this report were designed by the unions and, and their members. And a bunch of them have then since actually been given feasibility studies and funding. And one of the um, projects to have zero carbon cement created out of the fly ash from the coal plant has um, resulted in a product called Collie Creek uh, actually going to commercial demonstration trials already. So uh, as far as having a transition goes, if you get involved, if you're a fossil fuel worker, if you get involved in planning the transition for your own community, you will be better off. Yeah, I, I want to be clear that, you know, it's not a perfect situation what's happening in Collie, but we're actually getting a government here in Western Australia that's committed to ensuring that community has economic diversification, has spent tens of millions of dollars, has put government contracts for diverse different types of industry down in Collie. Uh, so it is a good example, but I think we, we also just need to also recognise that there's been some real bad examples of, you know, the transition is already happening without a plan and people just losing jobs. So here in Western Australia last year, we lost in the oil and gas sector over 2,500 jobs. A whole bunch of those were from Woodside, 750, maybe 1,200, somewhere around there jobs uh, went from the Quinana oil refinery from BP here. Full disclosure, my dad worked there for 20 years and was he was uh, the final supervisor on site on the close down day who sent everyone out the gate. What we get six months after BP closed that facility and no longer have workers there is them proposing to put a hydrogen and ammonia production facility on that same site. That is the exact perfect example of what not to do when you want to transition a workforce. All of the apprentices who live in the local community in Quinana, who a lot of them probably had family that were already, you know, part of that employment, you know, working at BP and that kind of thing, because. A lot of people stay in the employment of the family in those kind of big mining and refining industries here in WA. It's a common thing. Those people all lost their jobs. No doubt when BP goes to you know, set up this industry, they're going to set it up with much lower wages and conditions than what they would have had if they were continuing on from contracts that have been negotiated and held by unions for the last 60 years. You know, Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good example of where uh, fossil fuel multinational corporations didn't care about the workers, shut the place down is now going to go rebuild on the exact same site in a renewable energy industry and has you know, been allowed to get away with not doing a transition at all, basically. You might say the largest pockets of resistance to change come from the mining, oil and gas sector. I'm not sure that that's actually true, actually. Um, I think that they are perhaps the most focused on um, sections of society 
I actually think that the largest opposition to change comes more from politics and identity. 20 to 30 percent of people in society still don't view climate change as one of their top 10 issues, you know, around 20 percent of people. And the fossil fuel industry employs a total of like 1% or under 1% of people in Australia. So it's not that simple, that equation. But what to do about fossil fuel workers um, and the, the heads of unions that, and the heads of you know, political parties who are continuing to sell fossil fuel workers down the stream by telling them that they will, you know, if you're building a facility now, it'll still be operating in 20, 30 years. It's just, it's just not a reality. Communities like Collie and communities like you know, someone mentioned the Hunter um, Jobs Alliance there. In my day job, I work at United Workers Union and we're one of the groups that are involved in, one of the unions involved in the Hunter Jobs Alliance. The community in the Hunter is going to plan its own transition as well, you know. The type of just transition planning that will be credible to workers is the one that they're involved in. The Australian Council of Trade Unions and the Climate Action Network of Australia now holding formal dialogues between the climate movement and the union movement three times a year at least, you know. And that's the, essentially, you know, Climate Action Network of Australia is not quite a peak body, they're a network, but essentially they're, they're the two equivalent level organisations now. There's national coordination at the top level of the climate movement with the union movement. You know, the, the one area, occupational health and safety, the only time that I've been in a union space where literally every single union on the call, including AWU, Australian Workers Union, and the CFMU Mining and Energy Division, and United Workers Union, and all the other unions on the call, uh, and Michelle O'Neill herself made the statement saying every single job is impacted by climate change and extreme weather already. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the space in which we have the strongest right to cease work. You know, so it's the, the strongest organising opportunity uh, essentially that we have in the climate space. I think the need to be smart about acknowledging the fact that workers are already being impacted by climate change. And that by making those employers acknowledge that the impacts of climate change in that work that they are legally res responsible for and that they need to spend money and resource to address, that's going to give them an incentive to encourage government to do the transition faster and to support uh, government to provide supports for employers and other things for adaptation. Uh, and it's also going to make the employer aware that they are then legally responsible for not contributing to making the problem worse. Uh, one way of um, perhaps summing up uh, the messages you've given is we, 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 also, we sort of face a choice, whether we're in the union movement or other uh, social welfare organisations, we face a choice really, don't we? And that is that um, transition is going to be something that's done to us or we're going to say, well, no, we're not going to have it done to us. We are going to take some degree of control over it definitely you know I, I agree with that uh, but also I'd, I'd probably just say that it's already being done to us it's not a thing that's going to be done to us and also it's not a thing that's necessarily going to be done to us by government and business um, there is every possibility that we don't have a transition and that what happens to us is much worse than an unplanned transition mm. Very well put. That's it for Stick Together this week. You can catch up with the show at 3cr.org.au or where you get your favourite podcasts. Contact us on sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. I'm Annie McLaughlin. Join the Stick Together team next week for more workers' news. And remember, wherever you are or whatever you do, there's a union for you.